Well, this morning, if I were to ask you, do you believe in divine providence, I think that you would answer with a resounding yes. And then the question comes to us, what is divine providence? How would you explain this very significant truth? Well, here's uh, some answers from some very wise and sound Bible teachers. Jerry Bridges, best-selling author who ministered for years with the Navigators, said this, The providence of God is his constant care for and his absolute rule over all creation for his own glory and the good of his people. Now, you will note the glory of God is first. And our good is second, because providence often brings trials into our life. They do not seem good, but they are sent by God for our good, and then ultimately to bring glory to Him. And we must remember that when providence is very, very difficult. And then here are the words of Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, who ministered for many years at Westminster Chapel in London, And he says, providence is that continued exercise of the divine energy, whereby the creator upholds all his creatures, is operative in all that transpires in the world, and directs all things to their appointed end. Now, this is excellent because providence involves three things. God upholds and sustains us, our very breath, this morning. He is operative. He is at work in his world and... He directs and guides us to the purposes that he has for each life. Now, the relevance of all of this is so well stated by J.I. Packer, and listen to what he has to say. The doctrine of providence teaches Christians that they are never in the grip of blind forces, fortune, chance, luck, fate. All that happens to them is divinely planned, and each event comes as a new summons to trust, obey, and rejoice, knowing that all is for one's spiritual and eternal good, Romans 8, 28. Now, all of this has very special relevance to the question we began with last week, in Genesis 24, how to marry the right person. You see, if we believe in providence, then God is not only working out his plan for our life, but he wants to guide us and direct us through all the ups and downs of life to fulfill that plan. And that leads directly this morning to the second principle that we want to see Regarding marriage in Genesis 24, it is the prayer principle. Pray as a believer in God's providence. As you pray about a potential mate for your life, you pray as somebody who believes the providence of God is at work in your life, And he wants to guide you to a marriage partner for you, if that is his plan and purpose for your life. 
Now this morning I invite you to take your Bibles and turn back with me to Genesis 24, and today we're going to read verses 10 to 27. And as I read this very instructive section, I want you to follow along and to think as I read, where is providence working in bringing Rebecca and Isaac together in holy matrimony as we see at the very end of the chapter. So let me read for you now, starting at verse 10. Then the servant of Abraham took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the man of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. And the man gazed at her in silence. There was a little question mark over his head as he did this. To learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel, and two bracelets for her arms, weighing ten gold shekels, and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. And said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. I don't have to say to you that providence was central in finding a wife for Isaac. Now, as we read through this chapter, we discover all the main characters believed in the providence of God. 
Back in verse 7, as Abraham gave the instructions, sending an angel is connected with take a wife for my son. So God personally sent an angel to guide and direct the servant, protect him along the way, and he led this servant to the precise location where he would meet Rebecca. That is providence. And then look over at verse 40 as the servant retells the instructions from Abraham. He says, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. He adds this phrase, the angel's going to prosper your way. That is a word that means cause to succeed. What is amazing about that, it's the same word in Psalm 1-3. Look at these words. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Same word. It means to succeed in the right way. To succeed in the things in life that really matter. And how does this prosperity come about? It comes about through God's providence. He works in our lives to bring his purposes to pass. There's an old statement, if we do what we should do, God will do what he can do. And that is providence. And then notice Rebecca and her family. Drop over to verse 50 and notice this. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Even these relatives who are less instructed in the ways of God recognized divine providence was at work. Rebecca did too, for later at the end of the chapter she says, I will go. It was so very clear, none of this is an accident. God was working all things together for good for those who love him. Now, if you are here today and you are thinking, someday I may be married, does this not encourage you? Doesn't it encourage you? You see, God is not just interested in the marriage of Isaac and Rebecca, He's interested in your marriage. And providence is not simply for the people of the Bible. Providence is for you. And God wants to direct your life to his divinely intended purposes for you, including your marriage, if that's in his will. And so the question for us today then is this, what does it mean to pray in God's providence. And let's notice how the text answers that question. First of all, God loves to lead when we pray in his will. Are you praying in his will this morning? 
Am I praying in his will? God loves to lead people who do that. I want you to notice how prayer begins and ends this section. In verse 12, the servant said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. And then as he met Rebekah, and that part of the episode ended, verse 26, the man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord, and he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. Now I want you to notice the last phrase in verse 27, and you would do well to underline it, because he prays, as for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. That is the key to the whole event. I love how the Amplified Bible translates this. He prayed, going on the way of obedience and faith, the Lord led me. You see, God led this servant right to the place after 450 miles where he met Rebecca because he prayed and acted in obedience and faith. In verse 27, the servant knew two things about God that we ought to know as well. God is steadfast in love. And God is faithful. And if we are seeking God, praying in his will, living in obedience to him, then God can be counted on to lead. Now this is taught all throughout scripture. Let's look at a couple of passages here this morning. Here's the negative side in James 4, 2, and 3. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly out of the will of God. To spend it on your passions, your pleasures your selfish desires. That's the negative side. Let's look at the positive side in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Here's the positive way. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. Are you confident about this as you think about your own, perhaps, future marriage? That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, according to his will, we know that we have the requests we have asked of him. Are you confident about that as you think about your own marriage? You see, everyone who believes that marriage may be God's plan for you should be praying for your future spouse. And your prayer could be something like this. Lord, you know my heart. You know I want your will more than anything else. And if your plan for me is to be married, lead me to the right person in your time. That should be a regular prayer of your life. Your parents should pray that for you. Your grandparents should pray that 
for you. Now, notice, as we learn about praying in God's providence, a, a second truth. God directs our movements when we pray in his will. That's a blind, mind-blowing thing. God directs our very movements when we pray in his will. And I'm going to read verse 15. And I want you to ask me, what are the implications of the sequence of this verse? Let me read it for you. Before he had finished speaking this prayer, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder. What are the implications of that sequence of events? Pastor Kent Hughes, I think, put his finger right on it. This is what he said. It is reasonable to conclude Rebecca left her house before the servant began to pray. God answered the servant's prayer before he even prayed the prayer. Does that blow your theological categories out of the water? Rebecca acted of her own free will, but God sovereignly directed and moved her to do what he wanted her to do. And he did it in answer to a prayer before the prayer was even prayed. Can you explain all of that? If you can, please write a book that will become a bestseller, and I'm the first person that's going to buy the book, and I will ask you to autograph the book for me, and in the meantime, how about all the rest of us, let us worship in fear and trembling a God who can do all of this. Here's a wonderful quote from Dr. Packer again. And look what he says. The reason we should pray is because God has already ordained the answers to the prayers he prompts us to pray. And I would add, in his providence, he is working out those answers in our lives. And so we pray because God has already ordained the answers that by his providence, he wants to lead us to fulfill. Brothers and sisters, what this is saying is we don't pray to bend God to our will. We pray to bend our will to his. And when we pray like this, God is already moving people to be the answer that he wants us to have. It is perhaps one of the deepest mysteries of all in Scripture. But here it is. Now notice a third truth that is so 
very important. Number three. God fulfills our prayers in His will through our actions. There's an old statement that says this, pray and then be the answer to your prayer. It's very clear here the servant was not passive. He went to where Rebecca is and it was 450 miles to get there. He devised a plan to meet her. When she came out with the water jar, he ran to meet her. God's sovereignty does not mean we are passive. In fact, his sovereignty is the opposite of passiveness. The reason we ought to be active is because he is sovereignly working out his plans and he calls us to participate in the plans that he has divinely ordained. You know what that means? If you think that God has a plan for you to be married, and you have come to that place in your life where he is placing on your heart that now may be the time, you very simply devise a plan to meet Christian singles. That's what you do. And if things don't work out with one person, you devise another plan. You are praying in the will of God. You are trusting Him to move people in and out of your life. And so you participate with God by devising plans where you might meet other Christians of marriageable age. Forty years ago was my first year in seminary. I met a young woman from Kansas who I was very interested in. Her best friend was going to be married to my roommate. And so I became friends with her, and I was very interested in her. As we started seeing each other, I thought she might be a suitable marriage partner and uh, maybe a partner in ministry. Now, there were many reasons why that was not to be. My last visit to Kansas, she broke up with me. In fact, she compared me somewhat unfavorably to a former boyfriend, and so as I drove back to Texas, I was brokenhearted, feeling rejected. The next day, as I sat in the student center in the commons, one of my friends came over, saw me in my despair and misery, and tried to cheer me up, said, who is she to say that you don't measure up? And I thought, well, okay, at least somebody believes in me. So I was quite down. You know what I could not have known? God was preparing a woman for me back in my hometown by the name of Ellen Wheeler. I would not meet her for five more years. In four years, I would become the pastor of a church in my hometown I had attended at five years of age for VBS. And in that church, I would meet Ellen's aunt, who told me about her niece. Her niece just happened to work at the Christian bookstore I visited very, very frequently. 
And every time I visited, her conniving co-workers sent her out to wait on me. I was entirely clueless, but oh, did I like it. As nice as that girl from Kansas was, Ellen was the partner I needed for life and ministry. And you know I would not have been here for 18 years without her. As I look back on all of that, I've learned two very significant lessons, and I hope if you're here today and you are thinking about a future marriage, you will not forget these lessons. God's providence was at work bringing Ellen and me together. I was 30 years old when I met her. Second lesson. I had to pray, trust God, get up some courage, and go meet Ellen. I did. And now, 33 years later, I can see it all so very Clearly. How old was Isaac when he got married? Forty years old. That's a long time to wait. But it was worth it. God is faithful. God is faithful. Let's read together the lessons that he is teaching us. Whether for your marriage or anything else in your life. In his time, in his way, Under his providence, this is what he's doing. Let's read them together. God loves to lead when we pray in his will. God directs our movements when we pray in his will. God fulfills our prayers in his will through our actions. Let's bow together, shall we? And let's thank the Lord. Just before we sing and our service close, and our minds will be taken away to other things, let the Spirit of God Speak to your heart. Are you a believer in the providence of God? 
do you believe that he is not only at work in his world, but at work in your life, and he wants to guide and direct you to his intended purposes for you? That if that includes a, a, a mate and a, a spouse, that he is very vitally concerned about your marriage. And though it may not be an easy process, though it may take much longer than you anticipated, as you pray and obey and follow, and seek to get to know other godly, like-minded Christian singles. In God's timing, he will bring it about. When Ellen turned 30, she gave up on getting married her two friends were married. She figured it would never happen. It was that very year that I began to notice her and think I need to get to know her. The very year she thought it would never happen is the year God began to bring it about. And so would you say to the Lord today, you are steadfast in love, you are faithful, I trust your providence. Lord Jesus, even though we know what the Bible teaches, it is very hard when providence is difficult, when providence takes time, when providence brings painful hurts and circumstances. That's why, God, we read the Bible, we don't read our circumstances. We decide our theology, even the hard parts of the theology that we cannot understand, how free will and sovereignty work together so that God accomplishes what he intended. We read the Bible and we believe it. And therefore, we interpret our circumstances based on what we know about God, not the other way around. Burn this deep into our heart that we might love you, know you, follow you, and obey you. For Jesus' sake, amen.